Have you been waiting for just the right job? Then welcome to the end of your search. Amazon has seasonal warehouse jobs in your area, and now is a great time to apply. You can start getting paid right away and work close to home. Applying is easy. You don't even need an interview. So what are you waiting for? Come join the team and get a great seasonal job offer today. Visit Amazon.com slash hiring. Amazon is an equal opportunity employer. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. You're listening to the Huddle Up Podcast with Chad Jensen and Zach Kelberman. Join Broncos Country's deep divers at milehighhuddle.com and sound off. And now it's time to drop some knowledge. Welcome in, everybody, to the Huddle Up Podcast, presented, as always, by Mile High Huddle and 24-7 Sports, powered by Overtime Media. I'm your host, Chad Jensen. With me, as always, is my partner in crime. You know him and love him. Is your Denver Broncos reporter for 24-7 Sports. He is Zach Kelberman. Zach, how was your weekend, buddy? How was your Mother's Day weekend? It was good. You know, I, I, you know, encourage everyone to always reach out to their moms. It's such an important part, at least in my life. I mean, she's my best friend. I'm super, super close to her. So uh, it's always important for me on these days to reach out. Big shout out again to all the mothers who listen to the show in Broncos country. We love you guys. You gals, I guess is probably the better way to say it. But <laughs> That's right. hey, uh, let's let's we got a lot to talk about today. I know the fans are listening to this on Monday morning, most everybody anyway. And we got a lot of happenings that took place over the weekend with the Broncos holding rookie minicamp that we got to break down, plus the latest developments with the Chris Harris saga. And we're going to dive into that here in just a second. But first, just make sure you're following the show on Twitter at Huddle Up Pod. It's the best way to keep your finger on the pulse of what's happening with the show in real time. And then don't forget to leave your creative review and rate the show. Give us that five-star rating on iTunes. I'm Su Lin Wong, host of The Prince, a new podcast series from The Economist. It's about China's leader, Xi Jinping. He's the most powerful man in the world, but he remains a mystery. His story is hidden behind a brutal censorship and propaganda machine. After 10 years in charge, it looks like he'll break convention to stay on, perhaps for the rest of his life. I'll tell the real story of China's leader, the lessons he learned from watching his parents lose everything and from rising through the ranks of a vicious regime. Now, he's using those lessons to control over a billion people. He's changed China, he's changed my life, and the decisions he makes affect us all. To understand what's next, you need to know where he came from. Listen to The Prince from The Economist, wherever you get your podcasts. 
Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. All right, Zach, so let's talk about Chris Harris Jr. first because I think we, we covered at least the most immediate topics from rookie minicamp following the first day. Let's talk about Harris and the recent developments. Now, of course, the Broncos are beginning their OTAs Monday, so by the time most people are listening to this podcast, the veterans will have arrived at Dove Valley to begin to kind of mix it up with the rookies, and the Broncos finally are taking shape, the 2019 team. One player who will once again, however, not be in attendance is Chris Harris because he's yet to receive that deal that he's kind of holding out for. And the developments are not only that, that he's not going to show up to OTAs, but Zach, also the fact that Ed Donatel, when he was asked specifically about Chris Harris over the weekend during rookie minicamp, he intimated that he believes a positive outcome is coming on that sooner rather than later. But what else have you heard about Harris over the weekend? I, I know I don't expect him to show up, obviously, unless there's a, a 11th hour major change of heart by either side. These are still voluntary practices, and they can't fine him for missing these practices. He has no reason to show up if he still wants a, a big contract. I think you and I, Chad, differ in the sense that I think something will get done. You tend to think it's going to be a long-term deal. I'm starting to believe they're going to just sweeten his 2019 walk year because they invested so heavily in cornerbacks already, and they can get one more year out of them, and then hopefully they can transition with Jackson and Callahan, whoever else. I just think they're going to sweeten that deal, keep him happy for this year, and then move forward in 2020. One thing that, you know, and this is a risk, <clears throat> that John Elway has ran, the longer he's dragged his heels and waited to address this with Harris, the more opportunity there is for the market to reset. And that happened just in the last couple of days with the Miami Dolphins signing Xavier Howard to a five-year, $75.25 million contract. So in and of itself, it's an average annual salary of $15.05 million per season. And as we were talking about off-air before we hit the record button, you know, technically, his annual average right now is less than $15 million because of the rookie deal he's still on for this, this uh, 2019 season. But still, Chris Harris is pining for that close to $15 million. And so the question is, is he worth it? Would he be worth it? And, and you know what? It, I wouldn't be opposed to John Elway saying, look, we're going to, you know, we're kind of a little bit worried because you're over 30 now. And we, at the same time, we know you're still one of the best corners in the league and you've contributed significantly to the team. So we want to reward you commensurately with all that. So we'll do something like, you know, three years and $45 million with, you know, basically two of those years fully guaranteed. Something like that. But here's the thing, Zach. In terms of, of value and worth, PFF Broncos just tweeted earlier today a stat that to me was just mind-boggling. Cornerbacks who have been targeted 500 times minimum or more, of course, and that still have more interceptions than they've allowed touchdowns in coverage, Chris Harris Jr. is on that list. He's allowed in, uh, I think it's uh, 644 actual targets. Quarterbacks have tried to to fit passes in on his coverage. They've completed 377 of them. 
He's given up 16 touchdowns in coverage throughout his career, but he's picked off the ball 19 times. Let me tell you some of the other names who have 500 targets at least in coverage who also have a greater interception-to-touchdown ratio. The names include Richard Sherman, Asante Samuel, Charles Woodson, Darrell Rivas, Champ Bailey, Antoine Winfield, Ladarius Webb, and then Cortland Finnegan. So, Zach, even though he's a little bit north of 30, I think – you know, we're we're under my my opinion is we're underestimating what the team how the team values Chris Harris, and I see this again as being just more the way that Elway likes to do business, and he kind of likes to drag these things into the summer. Uh, you know, based on the stats, obviously there's no question that Harris deserves a new deal. He deserves every penny he's entitled to, and making un, a little under eight this year that's criminal. He should be making almost double that. I just happen to think they invested so heavily in Kareem Jackson, who they're going to play at safety and corner, and Bryce Callahan. They made other uh, pickups in Bosby. I, I just, I, I don't, I can't see Elway turning around and making an about face and handing out fifteen million a year over the long term. The only way I can see that number happening for Harris is in this year only. If if Elway sweetens that deal to make it that number or near that number, but no way is Harris getting Xavier Howard money because in Miami's case they were paying for potential, they were paying for upside. Big difference paying a 30 year old and a 25 year old, especially a 30 year old coming off a broken leg. He's not going to get that. Uh, I think it's ego, it's title for Chris Harris Jr. and it's deserved. Don't get me wrong, but knowing Elway, I just can't see him turning around and investing a five year deal, whatever, with that kind of uh, figures. What do you think Chris Harris Jr. will accept? Now, we know he's saying he wants 15, but eventually they're going to all get in a room and hammer it out. And, you know, if the Broncos make the signing bonus right and the guaranteed portions right, what do you think he'll accept on an annual average? you got to pay him more than Kareem Jackson, which is 11 a year, I believe. So you've got to give him 13 at the minimum baseline. And I think somewhere in the 14 range for Harris, maybe kick in a bonus, you know, a per-game roster bonus, you can get it done. But minimum, bare minimum, is 13 a year. I do not disagree. I do not disagree. And listeners of this show know full well that as soon as Kareem Jackson was was signed during free agency, Zach and I have been saying that Chris Harris Jr., he's going to look at that, and he is yep. not going to be willing to accept a nickel less than $11 million to re-sign and stick around in Denver. So, Nor and, should he. And he shouldn't, exactly. I mean, as good of a player as Kareem Jackson is, and he was a former first-round pick out of Alabama, He's never been to a Pro Bowl. He's never won a world championship. I mean, Chris Harris Jr., he hasn't just been good. Chris Harris Jr. has been one of the NFL's great defensive players. You know, one of the Cons- great secondary Consistently. Yes. Yeah. You know, and he's been mired on three terrible teams since Super Bowl 50, and he's still found a way to make two Pro Bowls during that time period, which to me, Zach, speaks even more so to his overall ability, his reputation around the league. And I think the Broncos... You know, they're going to eventually pay him. And he took that, that you know, haircut, whatever you want to call it, the team-friendly deal back when he originally got paid. And I think it's time for John Elway. And look, you know, don't get out over your skis as an organization. You want to protect the team in the, in the interest of, hey, he's over 30. We recognize that. But I think you can hedge against any potential risk by saying, look, we're going to give you $13.5 million per year over a three-year period. And, you know, we're going to do $27 million of that fully guaranteed. 
I don't, I don't see any problem with that. I think uh, those numbers, if they can squeeze it in the cap with a couple tinkering by Mike Sullivan, I wouldn't be opposed to it. And the thing about Harris is he's gotten better with age, not worse. I mean, he's one of the game's premier corners. So if Denver doesn't pay him, another team will for sure next year. And Elway does have two solid arguments to say, hey, look, we know you want $15 million, but here's why we don't believe you're worth 15 today. You know, no offense. Here's why we what we view it. A, you're over 30. B, you are a nickel corner. Yes, you can play on the outside. And yes, you know, you've proven as a number two guy uh, behind to keep to lead for all those years that you can be a productive corner on the outside. But let's face it, in, in nickel coverage, in this includes under Vic Fangio moving forward, the majority of your snaps are probably going to come in the nickel. And we'll see how that shakes out with Bryce Callahan being on the team now too. But, you know, nickel corners don't make top of the market money is, is basically what I'm getting at. It's true. That's a good point. If he wants to be paid like a an outside corner, there's a lot of more money there. So, you know, it, it all depends on what it comes down to. I, I just I, maybe a, a one year. I know it won't happen, but a one year compromises will pay you 12 or 13 this year. And if you stay healthy, you perform consistently, will make you the game's highest paid corner next offseason. I know those promises don't happen in the NFL, but I think that's a fair compromise for both sides. I mean, it gives them both short term and long term uh, agreement. Now, the reports are that they're going to be getting together soon, the, the Broncos and the Harris camp, to basically hammer this out. What's your prediction time frame-wise for this to come to a, a resolution or not? Well, they're, they're going to first submit their counteroffer to the Broncos next week, so it's still moving at a slow process. I, I don't see anything happening before next month, before that mandatory minicamp, which is June 4th, that starts. Maybe something around then, get them in time, get them in for a couple days before they break for training camp. So if they get something done, which is moving in that direction, I don't think it's going to happen before the end of the month. All right. Well, there, uh, there you have it, Broncos country. We still have a lot to get to. We want to talk about some of the takeaways from Rich Scangarello and some of the other developments from Rookie Minicamp. We're going to get to all that on the other side of the break. We'll be right back. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. All right, Zach. So I want to talk about some of the interesting takeaways from Rich Scangarello's remarks on Saturday, which was, of course, day two of Rookie Minicamp. Now, let me remind everybody that, of course, he was intimately involved in the scouting, identification, you know, identifying which quarterbacks the Broncos would be interested in, and then taking it all the way home to those selections. He was involved when Drew Locke, for example, came on his top 30 visit. He was basically there with Elway the whole time, holding his hand, so to speak, in an up-close look at Drew Locke. This was the first time since the draft that we've been able to hear from Rich Scangarello on what his thought process was on Drew Locke, also on Brett Rippon. And the first thing I want to talk about here, Zach, is what he coveted in Drew Locke, what it was about Drew Locke that stood out to him. And I'm going to play the clip for our listeners really quick. Yeah, the one thing, uh, you know, I was just talking about, the one thing I I really coveted about a lot of guys in this draft is there was a lot of multi-year starters in this draft with a lot of production over their careers, and Drew was one of them. Um, he had a lot of starts. He played a lot of football. That experience in the SEC goes a long ways, and um, I think that he's a natural arm talent, and I think that was obvious to everyone. That's why he was a, you know, was rated the way he was, and had people thought so highly of him. But as a person, an individual, meeting him, getting to know him, you know, all those characteristics, you add up the sum of it, you see a lot of upside, and that's the kind of person you want to invest in. All right, Zach. So. That's really what it came down to for Rich Gangarello. There were multiple factors, not you know, not the least of which was his natural arm talent, his personality, 
all of the intangible aspects, but also the fact, Zach, that he played four years as a starter in the SEC. And it's not like he was just some scrub. You know, he was inconsistent at times, and there's no getting around that. But in the SEC as a junior, he set the conference's all-time passing record, passing touchdown record with 44. So there's a body of work there, Zach, for a team like the Broncos who's trying to evaluate quarterback talent, pick that next franchise quarterback future of the future guy. And that's how they can they can look at that body of work and more accurately, I think, kind of project not only the fit for their system, but what they can expect in the future. You know, what's funny about it, even though he wasn't around for him, this reads like the antithesis of Paxton Lynch, a guy who was experienced in college, who has that it factor coming out. It's something I talked about in the last pod, Chad. You can't teach it. You can't buy it. Drew Locke has that. He has that charisma. Uh, people gravitate toward him. You see it kind of on Baker Mayfield in a, in a grander sense. So I like the fact that Scangarello needs more than just tape chewing to see a quarterback and to see what he wants in a quarterback. He likes him as a person. He has to be a good individual. He has to be a good leader. It's the most important position in all of sports. More than just throwing ability, like he said. So I love the fact that uh, he, he scouts this deep, and it just justifies the Broncos hiring. It makes it look that much better with Scangarello. A couple other clips I want to play here from Scangarello is he talked about you know really why it's so difficult to identify and and scout quarterback talent in the NFL. One of the reasons why it's so difficult, he says, "quote Actually, here's what he says. Yeah, I mean it's it's it's." Probably one of the toughest things there is in in the NFL to do is to evaluate quarterbacks and to get it right. Um, again, it's it's not an exact science. What I will say is when you evaluate, not every quarterback, just like not every tight end or O lineman, is fit for every offense. And so part of it is finding guys that fit within what you do. That's why Nick Mullins was a great fit in San Francisco. Nick's not a fit for everyone, but in that offense, he's a he's a very good starting quarterback in the NFL. It's the same thing. It's finding types of guys at all positions that fit it. And I get to give all the credit to the organization. They did a great job in this draft, um, bringing the types of people that can do well within our uh, within our offense. And I thought that they did did a great job this year with that. And I'm excited about the guys we have. Zach, this kind of gives us another example of, you know, it's not just being wowed by the arm talent and the measurables like John Elway so clearly was in Paxton Lynch back in 2016. It's obviously you got to be impressed by those things. They have to, you know, matter. It obviously does along with the intangibles, but it's also the fit. And I really get excited, Zach, about the how confident Scangarello seems to be in the fact that Drew Locke is a fit. Yeah, and that's what jumped out to me, too. Someone who's still relatively young in this business, a first-time coordinator, he has that confidence in himself as a quarterback whisperer. He saw something in Nick Mullins, and they brought him aboard, and he turned Mullins into a capable starter. So if he has that influence and he has that ability and the Broncos listened, and that's why Drew Locke is here now, that's very, very encouraging for the Broncos' uh, prospects. Here's also what, you know, we've been curious about how Brett Rippon fits into the big picture and long-term how he fits in this year. We've talked a lot about it on the podcast. And again, this was our first opportunity to hear from Scangarello why they went out of their way to not only sign Rippon, but gave him that significantly guaranteed money that is very unprecedented, especially for a Broncos undrafted rookie. And we've also learned since the draft that before the Broncos traded their seventh round pick to move up to take Jawan Winfrey, the wide receiver, into the sixth round, the plan was to take Brett Rippon with that seventh round pick if he was still on the board. And so in that sense, 
you know, you can kind of view Brett Rippon as their seventh round pick, even though he ended up going undrafted. But here's what he said drew him to Brett Rippon. I'll play it real quick. Uh, like I said about Drew, um, I was really, I, I just, I thought this was a very deep draft class because there were a lot of guys who had started a lot of games. And um, I just value that greatly. And um, I think you can uh, evaluate a person and what they're made of and how they play the game. And um, Brett had those same qualities. He just, uh, he was tough. He was competitive. He played in a very good program. They coached their guys very well at Boise. Um, and he did a lot of great things, and he started a lot of games. And it's, it was very easy to evaluate that. And I think he's got the type of personality like Drew, um, like all the guys in that room that are competitive, and uh, they have the mind for it. They're processors, and um, I think that's what it takes to play in this league. All right, Zach, so a couple things I want to ask you about here. I wonder what you mean, what you think he means by – you know, he's talking about his experience, four-year starter and all that, and how he started a lot of games. What is What do you think he means about it's very easy to evaluate that? Body of work is so important because you can take the good and the bad. And is is the bad is actually important in molding a quarterback because you can correct those mistakes and they can become positives. You That's why I'm so leery personally of one-year wonders like Dwayne Haskins. I want to see a four-year starter, good or bad, to see what he's made of, to see how he rebounds from good games, from bad games, how he can string together consistent performances or inconsistent performances. It's so important to have a lot to go on, to have a lot of tape to pour through and not just a limited body of work. It's almost like just getting high highlight to something Chad and not getting the full tape and then here's the second thing I want to ask you about and this was something that to me was just so encouraging and I think part of it is you know the contrast or context of what Peyton Manning did for the Denver Broncos over that four-year period you know his his football acumen his football IQ and how that elevated a team that you know, it was quarterbacked by a guy in his late 30s with a kind of a noodle arm, and yet they still were able to be not only prolific offensively, but win a lot of games and eventually a world championship. Scangarello talking about the fact that they have the mind for it, these two young quarterbacks that the Broncos brought in, that they're processors. What do you take away from that? Well, I mean, he comes from the Kyle Shanahan offense. It, it seems like he likes cerebral quarterbacks, very heady quarterbacks, you know, more so than just big arm quarterbacks. And he was in Atlanta and he saw Matt Ryan. He sees Jimmy Garoppolo. These are all cerebral guys, not the biggest, not the strongest arm, uh, just quarterbacks who you can mold and you can get better by teaching them how to throw into windows or throw your receivers open, better uh, footwork and technique. He's a true teacher, Scangarello, and that's important. That's what Bill Musgrave never was for the Broncos, and that's what's so uh, encouraging for the long-term development. They finally have a guy who you feel confident in giving him the keys to in his development in Drew Locke, and, and he's going to get it right. Another thing that jumped out to me, we'll kind of move on from the quarterbacks here, is he was asked point blank, Scangarello, about whether or not he sees similarities between Noah Fant, the Broncos' rookie first-round pick, and the 49ers Pro Bowl tight end George Kittle, who most fans should remember full well how badly Kittle brutalized the Broncos. I think it was week 14 last season. And here's what Scangarello said real quick. Not really, honestly. They're, they're, to me, they're kind of different players um, and both special in their own way. Um, you know, like, like all players that have uh, unique traits, um, you know, you have to have the type of offensive system that can – accentuate those traits that can uh, see how they fit within them and I think that uh, obviously Noah's athletic he's competitive he's uh, you know they get there's a lot of tight ends at Iowa it's same thing that happened to Kittle their production gets diminished their reps get diminished 
Um, but there's a lot of upside there. And, uh, yeah, just excited to work with him. I think he has a lot of uh, potential as a player, and I think he has it in him to be a worker and to, to really uh, thrive here in Denver. So a lot of people, they look at the school, you know, both players having come from Iowa. Noah Fant, in Scangarello's estimation, is a different player than Kittle, but that's not necessarily a bad thing, Zach. I think that Noah Fant, even though he – you know, is mentored in, in many ways by George Kittle, I think he actually has the ability to become, not out of the gates, it's going to take time, but I actually think Noah Fant has it in him to be an even more productive and dominant tight end than George Kittle, and that's saying something. I agree with both of you. He's not going to be George Kittle, and I want him to be Noah Fant. I think Fant is a little more explosive than Kittle, whereas Kittle's a little stronger, maybe a little better at the point of attack as a blocker. But Kittle, uh, excuse me, but Fant is more of that that burner, that that passing presence for the big arm quarterback. He, to me, I see Aaron Hernandez and Noah Fant. I see Jimmy Graham with better blocking skills than I see George Kittle. So I'm happy that Scangarello isn't shoehorning a comparison just because they went to the same school. Again, man, just seeing him out there, Noah Fant running Exciting. around. I mean, he's not even fully padded up yet. He's just in basically a helmet and, and jersey, but he's got his sleeve on. He's got his visor on his helmet. He just looks like a sleek, massive athlete out there. It's very fluid in his movements, and I'm really looking forward to seeing what he brings to the table. But another aspect of Fant in terms of what we learned over this rookie minicamp weekend is that Justin Hollins, the fifth-round pick, the linebacker whom the Broncos have been trying at both outside linebacker in base – and then Nickel, uh, he's been playing at the off-ball position. He's been tasked oftentimes with covering Noah Fant. And in my estimation, Zach, if he can prove to the coaching staff, Justin Hollins, that he can hang in coverage, because they're basically the same size player. Noah Fant, 6'5", 250. Justin Hollins, 6'5", 248. And, if he can, and they both run basically a 4'5". So if he can prove he can hang with him as a in, a in coverage, that could end up being such a massive boon and blessing for the Broncos because they have their two down thumpers. You know, they have Todd Davis and Josie Jewell to stop the run. What they're missing is that linebacker who still has the size to get in there and stop the run if it's, if it's a, a running play on, on third down. But also he can turn around and run with these tight ends and help the Broncos cover. You know, and and Vic Fangio, he's going to be deploying that cover two scheme where the Broncos, they'll be playing some man, don't get me wrong, but those linebackers, they're not going to necessarily be running one-on-one. So he has to have great uh, one-on-one coverage. So those linebackers are going to have to have good reaction skills, good twitch and speed, of course, long speed to run with a guy like Noah Fant and players like him at the next level. Yeah, it's a pretty unique aspect. Uh, It's not like shutting down fan in practice is the same thing as shutting down Travis Kelsey in a game, but it helps both sides, I believe. Obviously, um, fan can be a better player as an offensive pass-catching weapon because in the NFL, it's going to gravitate toward these these nickel, hybrid, inside-outside linebackers. I think Fangio's getting ahead of the curve, and obviously with Hollins, if he can run with an explosive you know, receiver trapped in a tight end's body like Noah Fant, it bodes well for what he can do. And like you said, they still are searching for that guy who can cover tight ends and, and running backs. They didn't draft one. They didn't sign one. Maybe they see something in Hollins. And I, I'm ser- seriously still intrigued because they want to move him to inside. I thought he's strictly an outside linebacker. So, yeah, it definitely helps both sides. And it's only going to, you know, iron sharpens iron for the Broncos. Yep, great verbiage. Iron sharpens iron. That's exactly the verbiage I landed on when I wrote the piece, too, because – you know, the Broncos, you know, pitting those two guys against each other. 
is a way to try and develop two weapons that can fill two massive roster holes for the team moving forward. Now, we've landed on pretty much every draft pick so far between the, these last two podcasts from Dalton Reisner and Drew Locke to uh, Noah Fant. We've talked about Justin Hollins. We haven't really talked about Draymond Jones, the third-round defensive lineman, or the wide receiver, Juwan Winfrey. Now, basically what I've seen and heard from Winfrey is, you know, he looks good out there. He looks, uh, uh, you know, about what you expect to see from a rookie wide receiver hitting the grass for the first time as a pro. But Draymond Jones received some props from the defensive coordinator, Ed Donatel, on Saturday following day two of practice. And he admitted, he said, look, you know, that was a very good pickup for the team, Zach. Yeah, and based on what I saw on Twitter and some reports coming out of practice, it, it, he definitely looked explosive. He looks the part. He he blends speed and power. I wasn't the biggest fan of his selection, Chad. I don't. I'm not sure if you were either, but I, it's grow, it's growing on me slowly. What he can bring to this defense, just as a. Uh, anywhere, a five technique, a zero technique, nose tackle, defensive end. He can do so much for Vic Fangio, and to have that kind of chess piece is definitely exciting. Yeah, and they moved him around the defensive line. He said he played everywhere from the four technique, four eye, zero tech. So as a rookie, I wouldn't expect him to see much playing time, if any, on first and second down. But he's definitely going to factor in, Zach, as a situational pass rusher inside. You know, in a perfect world or in the best-case scenario like Malik Jackson – where he can come in on third down and push the interior part of the pocket and force these quarterbacks into the waiting arms of Von Miller and Bradley Chubb. So, you know, I'm I thought it was great value. I don't the only thing I didn't love about the Draymond Jones pick is just that the Broncos are still coming off the heels of of a failed Demarcus Walker selection in round 2. Yep. And so I'm a little bit worried even though I trust Bill Kalar and it's not that I I doubt his ability as a D-line coach. He's one of the best in the NFL. But I just wonder, and it might have something to do with the way the depth charts are structured. You know, you got Derek Wolf on one side. you got Adam Gonsis on the other. Shelby Harris projecting as the starting nose tackle. And maybe that's what has also contributed to Demarcus Walker's inability to crack playing time at all. But I just hope that, and I'm sure a lot of it has to do as well with Walker's, you know, his uh, sense of entitlement and, the way also the team managed him from outside linebacker, then he got sick, and then they decided, oh, we're going to put him back on the defensive line. There's a lot of factors there. I just worry, Zach, that Draymond Jones follows in the same suit, even though from a character perspective, everything I've learned about him is he's quite different as an individual from a personality, intangible perspective than Demarcus Walker. It's a really good point, and you know, there's definitely you get flashbacks here in PTSD about that pick. But I think the Broncos, looking back on it, were investing in their future with Gossis and, and being a free agent, and Wolf going to be a free agent. They have to have some guy waiting in the wings. And if anything, it says that they're not sold, nor should they be, on Demarcus Walker at this point. They don't believe he can step right in and be a starter, so they want to draft a guy who they believe is further along. I, I'd like to see Walker get playing time. But anything Jones can bring to the table, just bring him in on third downs if he pushes the pocket. As they say, pressure is production. If he can bring that to this Broncos defense, they're even better. Let's move ahead real quick in this last little section of the podcast for today and kind of look at OTAs. One thing Vic Fangio said on Sunday following the final practice of rookie minicamp is that Joe Flacco, of course, and this should be no surprise to anyone, is going to take all of the first team reps in OTAs. And then what he said is that the Broncos are going to have a, quote, open competition after that and randomly play the twos with the threes when they're doing their reps. So 
translating that, what that means for a guy like Drew Locke and, and Brett Rippon is, and also Kevin Hogan, is that, you know, Joe Flacco, he's the first team, and no one's getting to crack at that unless he gets hurt in the regular season. That's just not going to change. What's going to happen, though, is everyone else is going to be competing technically for that number two spot, even though my opinion, Zach, remains that the Broncos are going to kind of lube the board for Drew Locke to, to win that. And honestly, just what based, based on him as a player, what I've seen from him in rookie minicamp thus far, I don't think either Kevin Hogan or Brett Riffin, Rippin have a realistic shot of being able to take Drew Locke down for that number two spot. Yeah, I agree all around. I mean, none of this is truly surprising in itself. Flacco is that understood quarterback, as he put it, and there's going to be an open competition, as Elway confirmed after the draft. And I agree, you know, it's going to be tilted in Locke's favor. Just on his draft status alone, the fact that he was a top quarterback on Elway's board, uh, it's going to be extremely tough for Kevin Hogan, the guy who doesn't offer the upside to him, competing with Locke and also Rippon, who got a big uh, a guarantee in his contract. So, yeah, I agree with you. Ultimately, Locke will be the number two, and it's it's futile for me for Kevin Hogan. I think he'll be released before training camp or right after. Yes. Yep. Also, Fangio said with regard to Kareem Jackson, OTAs, of course, starting Monday in the next 12 practices, that Jackson is going to get a lot of work at safety, but that he's also going to finally see some work at corner and the nickel corner throughout the process. So get used to continuing to see Jackson at safety, but now we're also going to, to, to get some glimpses of him playing corners at. Finally, I mean, it's why they signed him for. It's why they gave him a big contract. I, I still wonder, though, if they're uh, being this ambiguous because it's still posturing for Chris Harris Jr. If if he comes back, Kareem Jackson will play more safety. If he doesn't, for, for some reason, he'll play more corner. I do want to see Jackson play his natural position, but I, I like to see him float, too. Just what Fangio can do, Chad, that Fangio bump is just exciting to me. Also, with regard to injured players and how available they'll be for OTAs, with regard to Philip Lindsay and Ron Leary and Emmanuel Sanders, no, in terms of playing full time, you know, participating, I should say, full time in OTAs. Jake Butt, the same. He'll he'll not be going. He he won't be a full go, but all of them will be doing things on the sideline, working with trainers. They'll be on the field and and participating, just not full time, you know, full team reps and and all that. And then lastly, Zach here. Bryce Callahan and Isaac mm-hmm. Yadam, who were both banged up. Callahan's going to be a full go, and Yadam's going to be limited the first week of OTAs, but according to Fangio, by the second week, he's going to be a full go. Yeah, Callahan's the big one there, and he's going to be completely unrestricted, and he's going to be immediately gelled into that nickelback role for the Broncos. And that's one thing I'm excited about, too, is he's the heir apparent to Chris Harris Jr. He might be for that slot guy taking over potentially one day on the outside. I want to see how he integrates. I mean, this Broncos defense, when they all come together, Chad, when Chris Harris Jr. comes back and these players get healthy, this defense has the potential to be really, really scary. Last thing here. Dalton Reisner, who's played left guard during team period over the course of rookie minicamp. According to Vic Fangio, he's going to remain at left guard during OTAs, and that's going to be probably with the ones, especially with Ron Leary on the sideline doing, you know, working with trainers. According to Fangio, though, the Broncos are going to give Reisner at least a week there at left guard before possibly moving him around a little bit and seeing what he can do. And that would explain why he's playing left right now. That's We talked about also one of the reasons why he's playing left is Ronald Leary's status. I think when Leary gets fully cleared, they put him out there completely. They'll have Reisner at guard or maybe even center, maybe even tackle. We don't know yet. I still think ultimately, Chad, Leary will be a left guard. I, I just think that's a better position to have him at his natural spot.
We will see how it shakes out this week. It's going to be fun this week and next week because you've got the vets and the rookies all descending on Del Valley for OTA. So we look forward to breaking this down. But that's going to do it for today's podcast. Make sure you're following the show on Twitter, you guys, at HuddleUpPod. You can find my partner, Zach Kelberman, on Twitter, at Kelberman247, myself, at Chad and Jensen. Do not forget to leave your creative review and give us that five-star rating on iTunes if you've yet to do that. Crucial, important. It's a great way that you can contribute to the to the health of this show. And uh, we'll be back, of course, for another episode on Tuesday. In the meantime, be good. For Zach Kelberman, I'm Chad Jensen. We'll talk to you soon. You've been listening to the Huddle Up! Podcast. Join Broncos Country's deep divers at milehighhuddle.com to keep the conversation going.